0: and welcome to The Bunker, I'm Ross Taylor. Never in living memory has the Metropolitan Police been more distrusted by the public. It's not the only police force in the UK with problems, but its difficulties seem so profound and intractable that it's hard to see how it can survive in its current form. There was the murder of Sarah Everard by a serving Met officer, the endless stream of misogynist, racist and homophobic WhatsApps, even mocking disabled children, the strip searches of young girls at school. I could go on, but it would take too long. What exactly has gone wrong in the Met? How has its culture degenerated in this way? And what will it take to turn the force around? Catherine Farrow is a doctoral student at Oxford University who's studying the police. She spent a lot of time in the back of police vans, but not in that way, and she's got a unique insight into how police forces work. Welcome to the bunker, Catherine. Hello. Did you see the roots of these problems when you were spending time on the beat with police officers?
1: So I found with the majority of police officers, they were quite decent and were were quite respectful. But there are always some who do continue to display more problematic behaviour. Police officers can develop an as-against-them mentality quite quickly. They can become very dismissive of any outside challenges. They can become very close to their teammates. And they then become the people they spend most of their working hours with. And... If that particular group of people has quite negative group norms, then it can become quite toxic. And it's very easy for negative attitudes to thrive. So you do see that in some aspects of policing, definitely.
0: So this MET culture, how has it been allowed to take hold? Because you would normally expect a manager to step in and say, no, guys, you can't do this. You shouldn't be behaving this way. But that doesn't seem to have happened. So with
1: policing, in order for it to function effectively, officers do need to have a certain amount of discretion to use their professional knowledge so that they can deal with situations as they see fit rather than just applying one size fits all to their work. But with discretion, the flip side of that is there's often a lack of accountability. And you then see certain dark corners of the Met where you have these more sinister workplace cultures that begin to thrive because they have been left unchecked over time. And for instance, if you look back at reports in relation to the WhatsApp groups with the Sharing Cross police officers, those reports stated that the management weren't really aware of what those people were doing because there was that lack of oversight and also as well tackling culture can be very difficult so the term culture itself is quite slippery cultural change can often be very slow it can take a long time to achieve any noticeable change and there'll also be quite a lot of resistance from officers to that as well so once that culture takes hold it's very very difficult to shift it.
0: So knowing it's a bit of a problematic term but is the Met's culture unique do you think among Britain's police forces how is it different from all the others around the country?
1: So I think the Met is particularly unique because of the types of crime it deals with and the types of teams that um, take place that occur within the Met. So... The Met generally does deal with more violent offences, statistically. There's more murder and robbery than other forces. And it also has a lot more firearms operations than any other force. And it also has the highest number of firearms officers as well. So those firearms roles in particular, you can really see where the negative cultures begin to arise. There's quite a lot of bullying, racism, sexism. And newcomers to those groups often have to adapt to those norms, otherwise they don't succeed. So there does tend to be more sexist attitudes in these groups. These groups do tend to have less female officers. They tend to be very male dominated. And there seems to be an element of encouraging uh, rule breaking rather than encouraging positive behaviour. So the Met is a particularly unique force, partly because of the the types of offences and the the types of groups that occur within that organisation.
0: Let's talk about Cressida Dick, who was the last Met commissioner. She was the first woman to lead the Met and the first openly gay person to lead the Met. You'd think that she would have wanted to nurture a better culture. And I remember reading at the time that, you know, this was a great step forward for the Met. Why didn't she?
1: So with cultural change, I think it's really important to recognise that that change is going to be very limited when the person who's been assigned to tackle that culture has already spent significant amounts of time within that same organisation. So being in that organisation, Crested Dick was in that job for quite a long time. Uh, So that experience does shape that person's worldview and it then shapes how they perceive the organisation and what problems that they see the organisation having or not having. So... I think with Cresta Dick, I think perhaps she might have been a little bit too close to the centre of those particular cultures and it might be perhaps better if, if somebody external comes in and then tries to make that change.
0: And the new commissioner is Sir Mark Rowley, an external person who is obviously hoping to be able to change the Met's culture. Tell us a bit about him.
1: So Mark Rowley is a little bit more external to the Met Police than perhaps Cresta Dick was. So... He started off in more provincial forces. He has worked for West Midlands Police. He's worked for Surrey Police. Uh, He worked on the investigation into the Millie Dowler case in, in 2002. So he has worked in other police forces and he didn't join the Met until 2011. And then he retired in 2018. And he came back in 2022 to take up the role that he now has. Although he's got that external experience, we're still seeing some of the issues arising that we have with previous Met commissioners. So for instance, he's very cautious around using the word institutionally racist to describe the Met. He is, however, appearing to really accept the recommendations of the Casey report, and he's attempting to make reform. So we'll see how that goes with time. But at the moment, he does appear to be moving in the right direction in relation to that reform.
0: The Met has been trying to attract more people of colour to its ranks. You see ads around London um, trying to do exactly that and more women as well. Is that working or are they put off by what they know about the Met?
1: I think there has been some progress in relation to women. So around about 30% of the workforce is female now and that is increasing. So it's moving in the right direction. There needs to be a lot more work done with people from ethnic minority backgrounds, uh, particularly those uh, from uh, black backgrounds. So, the Met Police actually does have the most ethnically diverse workforce out of all of the UK police forces. They've got about 16% as identifying from being from an ethnic minority background, but that's still well below the 46% of Londoners who belong to an ethnic minority. What we're finding is that the police are having more success with some groups than others. So, for instance, out of the current police constables they've got, they are 84% white, uh, 8% Asian, and then 4% black. So they're having more luck with people from Asian backgrounds, attracting those people to the force, but those groups typically have much higher levels of trust in the police than black communities do. So they're making progress, but not in the areas where they need to make that progress, and there's still a lot more work to be done.
0: So Mark Rowley says he needs new powers to sack officers that he currently doesn't have. It seems strange, looking from the outside in, that he doesn't have those powers. Why not? Policing organisations operate in a slightly different
1: way to a lot of organisations. So, for instance, police officers don't have some of the employment protections and employment rights that other people do. So, for instance, they can't strike, and that's a real issue for, for them that they can't strike. So, in other ways, they have to be protected. So, because they don't have those employment protections, investigations can take quite a long time. The Met doesn't have necessarily have the staff with the appropriate levels of skills to conduct rapid investigations so it can take quite a long time to take place and officers can't be sacked until an investigation has taken place and even if the force does decide to get rid of the officers an independent legal tribunal can overrule the Met and can decide that the Met can retain those officers so even though the force wants to sack them the tribunal if they rule that the officer needs to be kept within the force, then the Met doesn't have much say over that.
0: Yeah, I think we've all seen in police dramas and crime dramas how difficult it is to investigate police officers by by the police officers and, and the kind of tensions that arise there. And it's a whole different story in itself. What has Sir Mark done to try to reform the Met so far, though?
1: So I think we're very much at the planning stage at the moment. There's obviously a lot of communication that he's focusing on. Um, really focusing on reassuring the public that he's going to make the necessary difficult decisions. So he has said that there's going to be a tougher system to hunt down wrongdoing. It's going to be easier for officers to whistleblow and they're not going to be punished. But what he's going to have to do is he's really going to have to overcome the scepticism that exists now, because in the past, commissioners have said they're going to make these changes. Those changes haven't really been visible if they've happened at all. So he's going to really need the support of the force and the public in order to do that. So it is going to be quite difficult
0: for him to achieve. So I'll be very keen to see what happens next. Being a police officer, it's a really difficult job. What did you learn about it when you were spending time with the teams?
1: I think for me, the thing that I noticed the most was how relentless the job can be. You undertake shift work, there's very long hours, the work is very intense, and it can be really, really exhausting. So especially in frontline policing, it's so intense it's so volume heavy it was not unusual for the officers i was with to regularly be off with stress or burnout because they were simply so tired and so overworked from going from call to call to call because the volume of calls they were receiving was so intense um and one of the other things that i got to see was i got to see lots of different aspects of policing i went to different teams not just frontline and i think people do forget about officers and staff that aren't on the front lines. One of the most difficult jobs that I saw was that of the call handler. So they deal with people when they're in emergency situations, they're in danger, they're feeling quite vulnerable. That can be really difficult. People's emotions often run really high. They have to make very quick decisions in very difficult circumstances. So for me, that aspect of policing, I think, is very difficult. And um, I think people, when they think of the police, they're thinking of just frontline officers. But there's a lot more to it than simply those who are on response.
0: And there's always loads of drama about the police, as I just mentioned, The Bill, Happy Valley recently as well. What does that drama get right?
1: What does it get wrong? I love Happy Valley. I thought it was a really, really good show and I'm sad that it's finished. Yeah. For me, that was probably the most accurate police series I've seen. So obviously some of it is going to be dramatic. Some of it is going to be overemphasised, but the detail itself is spot on. So in terms of the people that they deal with, the way the workplace looks and how they speak to each other that the everyday language they use is really really accurate it's clearly been very well researched what they don't cover because from a tv point of view it's not going to be particularly exciting is the incredible amount of paperwork they have to do so officers to be accountable to demonstrate they're taking appropriate actions they have to have that trail of accountability to to show that they have acted correctly. So at the end of a shift, you will see officers spending perhaps two to three hours completing that paperwork. And it's it's really, really high volume. So they miss that out, but I do
0: understand why. Why do people become police officers, do you think? What motivates them to do it?
1: So most people that I've met, I've joined because they genuinely think they can make a difference and they genuinely want to be the people that put away bad guys to protect society. And with the job, there is an element of that. So that action element of the role can be quite appealing especially for those who are early in their career and are looking for a bit of excitement. The the sense of teamwork is also quite nice and it really does bring a sense of belonging to be within a particular team that, that works together. So I think for me it's mostly that feeling that they can have a really useful job that does make a significant difference. And how long does
0: it take to train?
1: So it's generally around six months of classroom training so that will be where they learn legislation their law their use of force how to appropriately do that they'll then have a probationary period for about two years whilst they're out on the beat learning how to do the job and then they'll have a tutor constable during that time so they'll have somebody there to guide them as, as they learn and um, so although that official training period is about two years I'm going to say it takes about five years to become truly competent and it's worth Noting that most officers on the front line have under five years experience. So uh, make a vow of what you will in terms of, of that experience.
0: Gosh, that's less than I'd have thought. I yeah. see a police officer and I was assume that they've been doing it for, a, you know, a decade or so. And you do retire quite early, don't you usually?
1: So it used to be automatically after 30 years and that's now changed. So there's a lot more onus on people to work longer um, for a smaller pension. So it used to be 30 years, but that's altered now.
0: Have you ever been tempted to join the police yourself, Catherine? So when I first started my fieldwork,
1: I was very tempted. So I was working with a really brilliant team. Uh, They really took me under their wing and they really showed me how difficult and also interesting the job was. But after a while, I found it really exhausting. So for me, it's so relentless and it's so full on. For me, it wasn't an option. I think it's too difficult a job and I I don't envy people that do it. There's obviously some questionable behaviours going on, but equally it is a really difficult job. And, and I think I don't envy the people who have to do it.
0: Do you think the Met's going to get out of this intact? I mean, the big worry is always that public mistrust and dissatisfaction with the police is going to spill over at some point. And you never quite know what might trigger that. But we've seen it happen in the past in the 2011 riots, for example. Do you worry about that happening?
1: So I think there's been a significant level of damage to the Met's reputation. And It's particularly concerning that there'll be one scandal after another after another. I am not sure to what extent they'll be able to recover that trust. I think it's possible, but they are going to have to demonstrate that they've changed. So it's not enough just to say what they're going to do. They have to also do it and make sure that that change is visible to the public. so it's really about winning back the trust and confidence of the public. And it is possible, but it's going to be a lot of hard work and and they're going to have to work at it really consistently.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you can imagine people doing that through their individual actions, but it's really hard for the force as a whole to show that it's changed, isn't it? I think it
1: is. And it can be done. So for instance, you're starting at the low level micro interactions that people have with the police, if they're pleasant, if they're polite, things like that can go a really long way. And going to reports of crime even if the police are confident there's not going to be any outcome sometimes just having an officer attend and just give that person a bit of reassurance can be really important so it is going to be really important to build those relationships going
0: forward Catherine thanks so much for joining us thank you and if you enjoyed today's bunker just to let you know you can support us to make more of them by going to patreon bunker podcast i'm ros taylor and thanks for listening The Bunker was written and presented by Roz Taylor. The producer was Chris Jones, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.